Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Glad to be here on a Wednesday night, middle of the week. So good to come into the presence of God in the middle of a crazy week and feel His presence join together with brothers and sisters in worship. Amen. I'm going to give give the parents that are taking their kids back a couple minutes to come back before I get started. So if you want to greet your neighbor, tell them they look great tonight. plays a little jingle over here. <laughs> Amen. How many of you still need a handout? Raise your hand if you need a handout, a note page, and a pen. to mention that we have our question box out there tonight so between now and next week you'll have probably till we'll probably go through the the questions and the ones we're going to kind of prepare for um, probably Tuesday of next week so you have between now and next Tuesday to throw a question in the box if you have any and again you do not have to put your name on it in fact I would encourage you do not put your name on it um, just for your own sake. Amen. Amen. So tonight, so we'll just do, I'll do a real fast recap. The first week we talked about the preparations of who? Jacobet. And last week we talked about the declarations of, good job everybody that answered. Those of you that did not, you need to take better notes. <laughs> Tonight, um, we're going to talk about um, our next kind of example from the Bible on some principles that we need to have in our life, especially in the realm of our homes and our, and our families. So as we go through these lessons, I want you to think of it through the, um, the perspective of being a member of your family in your home as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, a child, um, a grandparent, whatever you might be. Um, I want you to think of it in, in that manner because you could apply it to so many different areas of your life. And we'll, we'll get to where we apply some of these things in our relationships within the church. But for right now, I want you to think through how can I apply this as a mom, as a wife, or whatever you might be. So we're all probably really familiar with the story of Joseph, not Mary and Joseph, 
the other Joseph. <laughs> um, Genesis gives us the account of the life of Joseph. He was one of 12 sons of Jacob. He was the youngest, and he was undoubtedly the favorite. <laughs> How many of you have ever had fights with your siblings on who was the favorite? It wasn't even a fight in my family. I already knew. I was it. I was the youngest. I was the only girl. Like, it's a no-brainer. Um, and they would admit it. They'd know that. They're in denial, but they know it. Um, but Jacob, he was, this, he was probably pretty confident <laughs> that he was the favorite. Um, uh, Joseph. Jacob made him a beautiful coat that the other sons did not get. The Bible doesn't talk about Jacob giving the other sons beautiful coats of many colors. So Joseph got this coat. And uh, on top of being the favored child, he had dreams of ruling over his brother. Now, his brothers were not real, you know, not a big fan of his dreams, as I can imagine. Now, in our family, I don't know how it is in yours. I know how that would go over. <laughs> not good. First of all, in spite of the multiple times that my children have come home after hanging out with brother and sister Johnson who have convinced them that we have favorites and in their attempt to sow discord within the children, we do not have favorites. I would like to make that announcement every time or not every time, but many times they've come home and they're like, mom, brother Josh said Riley is dad's favorite. But Sister Jess says that, da, 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 I don't know. I don't know who she thinks the favorite is. It, it changes sometimes. <laughs> but anyways, they have this whole thing going. And then so for about 45 minutes, we have to sit there and try to convince our children that we don't have favorites. So thank you, Josh and Jess. Appreciate that. Um, just so you know, when you have kids, your day's coming. I'm just kidding. See, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to parents. So please stop. <laughs> Anyways, um, but there is that argument that happens in our home. And Dakota, you know, she's the youngest. And so they feel like she's the favorite. Like right now, that's the big thing is that they think Dakota's the favorite. And I'm like, okay, listen, let me explain something to you. Dakota's the youngest child. Now, I'm not justifying bad behavior. That's not what this is about. But she is the youngest child, and she has basically four mothers telling her what to do. She's got three older sisters who are trying to mother her, which is, you know, they tell her, you need to go clean your room, or, you know, they're trying to get her to do the things that she should be doing. Well, to her, she's like, I have four mothers, and I hate my life right now. <laughs> and so sometimes it creates some animosity there, and... Um, but she's not the favorite. I just can see her side of things a little bit better. And I try to explain it to the children, the other children. You know, it's a work. It's a work in progress. Pray for the state and home sometimes. But if, if we did treat Dakota like she was, like she had no chores, she, we had no expectations of her and and let's say at Christmas we gave her the best gifts and the other girls got nothing. Or they had to sleep outside while she got to pick which bedroom she was going to sleep in that night. Now, I could see how that would be interpreted as her being the favorite. So let's pretend that that's what happens. It's not, but let's just pretend. And then Dakota comes in 
And after we've allowed the three older ones to come back into the house for morning breakfast, Dakota sits at the breakfast table and says, wow, I slept so good last night. I mean, Brooke, your bed was so comfy. It was just perfect. The temperature was just right. And the other three girls are sitting there just loathing this moment. She says, I slept so good that I had such great dreams. I dreamed all night long. I dreamed that you guys were bowing down to me. I dreamed that you were worshiping me. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you in my home, they would not be like, oh, that's such a good dream, Dakota, you cute little thing, you. Um, That is not what the response would be. And this is basically what was happening in Joseph's family. Um, We talk about sibling rivalry. It was happening there. And so we have Joseph, and he really is not helping himself. To me, I'm like, look, Joe, just keep it to yourself. I mean, they already hate your guts. Let's not add fuel to the fire. Um, but he's just, I feel like Joseph may be oblivious. He's just like, I had another dream, and you guys bowed down to me, and this time you were cows, and last time you were whatever. And, I mean, I could just see the smoke rising in, their, in his brothers. And so they concoct this plan. They're going to kill him. They're like, let's, just, let's take him out. Like, I know that within siblings, there's like, I'm going to kill you. Well, they literally meant it. And, but then Reuben, the eldest of the brothers, comes up with this alternative plan. And he's like, okay, well, let's not go overboard. You know, maybe killing's a bit much. Um, so let's just sell him. We'll just sell him. We'll throw him in a pit. And we'll tell dad that he died. We'll take this coat that he made him. And we'll spread blood all over it, make him think that he died. And so here's the plan that they have, and they sell Joseph, and for the next 14 years, Joseph will face incredible hardships. He's going to face false accusations, prison, betrayal in just about every way. And it was likely anywhere from 14 to 22 years between the time that Joseph was sold by his brothers to when he sees them again. And so what I want to talk to us tonight about is forgiveness especially within the family setting. And forgiveness is a very big part of God's plan for your life. So, you know, God knew that all this was going to unfold in Joseph's life. And he also knew that Joseph was going to have, a make, have to make a decision one day if he was going to forgive his brothers or not. So when Joseph finally sees his brothers again, much had changed in his life, so much that they didn't even recognize him, which I thought was interesting, which I'm sure his his looks changed a lot. From what I read, he was about 17 years old whenever they sold him, and it was about, um, could be anywhere from 14 to 20 years that they did not see him again. So I mean, I feel like I would recognize my sibling if I didn't see him in 14 years. I don't know. Maybe if... I don't know, maybe if he got a makeover or whatever. But, um, but anyways, they did not recognize him. And I, must, I would think that they probably assumed he was dead. And when they finally do see him, he's in this place of great power. And so they're like, even if there is some resemblance, they're like, there's no way. I mean, he kind of looks like he could be Joseph, but no way. I mean, this guy's second in command to Pharaoh. And so... All this time has passed. He's second in command in Egypt, and there's a need for food. We, if, I'm not going to go too deep into the story. 
Um, but we see that Joseph's dreams become a reality when his brothers show up needing food because there's a famine in the land, and they have to bow down to him in respect. Now, can you imagine being Joseph? These are the guys that threw you in a pit, sold you, and because of what they did, all these other things took place in your life that were really unfortunate things. And so I can just imagine that there's probably this battle going on, and we can read part of that. He's, he kind of sets them up to kind of see how they're going to respond to their newest brother, Benjamin, who's the youngest, and now he's kind of the favorite. Jacob kind of, like, favored the <laughs> younger ones. I don't know if that's a human thing. But anyway, so Joseph is standing here, and he has a decision he has to make. He's got to make this decision on what he's going to do with all of these feelings that's stirring within him when he sees his brothers. His brothers had plotted to kill him, put him in slavery. And what did Joseph do at the end of the story? We have the privilege of knowing the end of the story. Joseph did not. All of his trials and struggles that he went through, you know, we can, within, you know, one message or one Sunday school lesson, we learned it all ended up pretty good for him. But in the middle of it, he had no clue what was happening. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But he forgave them. He made the decision to forgive them. And on top of choosing forgiveness, he received his entire family with open arms. And this was always part of God's plan. His brothers likely could not, never in a million years would have predicted this outcome. And this just shows how incredible God is and how impactful choosing forgiveness can be. And often we are deceived into thinking that forgiveness is letting our perpetrator off the hook. It's like, well, if I forgive them, then they're going to think that it's okay what they did. And they're getting away with it. But God is a good record keeper, okay? And we're going to talk, I'm going to dive in a little bit more. But letting them escape and avoid proper punishment and they're going to not get the, what they deserve. And that's all, you know, that's what a lot of people get caught up in. And that's why they live horrible, miserable lives is because their whole life is based upon trying to make sure the person that hurt them gets what they deserved. And that's a miserable place to be. When in fact, the opposite is true. When we forgive, we let ourselves off the hook. We allow ourselves to live free from the poisonous emotions of anger, hatred, and rage. And if you trace back every, and this is probably obviously the extreme end of things, serial killers and people who are just horrible criminals, some of your, your just most vile people, I would guarantee you 100% of them, there was a hurt somewhere in their life that they never got over. And it built up into rage and anger and bitterness, and they are where they are today. And in fact, I could tell you story after story of famous serial killers that it all stemmed from a, a father who was abusive or a mother who was abusive or whatever, something that happened in their life that they were never able to get over and understand that this is not to say that justice doesn't matter, okay? And that people should not be held accountable for their actions. Obviously, we have to have 
a system that holds people accountable for their actions or it would be chaos. So that's, that's not what this is about. This is about how unforgiveness affects you, okay? Not the other person. It's about how it can absolutely destroy a marriage. It can destroy a parent and child relationship. It can destroy an entire family if there's unforgiveness. And in order to set yourself up for moving forward, and not allowing unforgiveness and bitterness to take up residence in your life, I want to look at some examples from Joseph. Number one, put on the shoes of others. Put someone's shoes on. Ask somebody if you can use their shoes. (laughs) No, don't do that right now. That would be weird. Keep your shoes on, everyone. But Joseph's brothers, they failed him big time. Would you agree with me that they, like, they were the worst. <laughs> That's the term my girls use, like, oh, my word, they're the worst. Like, they literally were the worst. And they failed him big time. And they knew it. They knew it. They sold him into slavery out of jealousy. And they wondered if Joseph would ever seek revenge. His brothers were so afraid when they, when they finally figured out who Joseph was and they knew that he knew that they knew and he knew, <laughs> when they figured it all out and it all came out, they were scared. They were scared. His brothers were so afraid that they sent a messenger ahead to beg for forgiveness for them before they would meet him face to face. How many of you as a kid when you, were, when you got in trouble, you would send your sibling or maybe the other parent that wasn't mad at you and you'd say, will you tell them I'm sorry? Like you wouldn't go face to face. Like just you tell them. There's been times I've told my girls, you need to go apologize. Can you just tell them for me? I really don't like it. It's uncomfortable <laughs> to apologize to people because it's very humbling. You come face to face with the fact that you messed up. And so they send a messenger and they ask this messenger to tell, you know, tell Joseph that dad said he should, they should forgive uh, or he should forgive us. And it's very uncomfortable. Um, it's an uncomfortable reality to fear your own family member. You know, it is. It's like we should, we, I talked about in the very first um, week about creating a safe place. Our home should be a place where we should feel okay going. Now, conviction should set in. That's what should be uncomfortable. But we shouldn't fear that our family member is going to take out a, you know, a bat and beat us. You know, whenever we go, you know, we're sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, well, you idiot. Da, 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 da. You know, and that's an obviously very extreme example. Um, but with our words, we can sometimes do that. Because whenever, whenever you're in the place of being the one that was hurt and someone has to humble themselves and come ask for forgiveness, you're in a place of power. And that feels good as a human being. You have the power now whether you're going to extend mercy and grace. And so you can, you can do it one of two ways. You can be... You could be humble yourself and say, you know what, I've messed up too. I love you. Our relationship is more important than this, and so we're going to move past it. Or you could be like, well, you know, my room really needs to be cleaned, so if you're really sorry, you should go clean my room for me. Or if you're really sorry, and then you start to manipulate the situation. That's obviously the wrong choice. In Genesis chapter 50, we read the account, um, verses 15 through 17. It says, When Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, 
They said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us of all the evil which we did unto him. In other words, he's really going to be mad at us. And they felt like, you know, their dad being alive was what was keeping Joseph from unleashing all of Hades on them. And so that whenever Jacob died, they're like, oh, buddy, we're in for it now. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Now, it's not okay for someone to sin against you. That is sin, obviously. But if someone who commits wrong against you, genuinely comes to you and asks for forgiveness, consider their, uh, their willingness to become vulnerable. It is a very vulnerable place to be asking for forgiveness whenever you have to admit that you were wrong. It's uncomfortable. It's vulnerable. I, I do not like being vulnerable. I like to have it together. <laughs> I like to be in control. Yes, I have control issues, and we're going to talk about that later. But I, I don't like being vulnerable. It's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm, I'm exposed, you know? It's like I need to be strong. And so when, when they come to you and they're genuinely asking for forgiveness, do what Joseph did. Joseph wept, and he felt compassion for them. Which brings us to the next part. Number two, those who refuse to forgive are saying, I'm above God. John Calvin said, ignorance of our own faults is the only cause that renders us unwilling to forgive our brethren. I think I put that on your notes. It's a good quote. Ignorance of your own faults. In other words, you think you're perfect, Everyone else is wrong, and that's why you can't extend forgiveness. But when we truly consider our own sin, and we truly consider that we have failed numerous times, are there any perfect people in here? Please don't raise your hand because it's going to get super awkward. Thank you. (laughs) We're all messed up. We all have issues. We've all said things that we should not say. We have all done things out of just pure reaction in the moment out of emotional reactions and out of anger and out of bitterness and hurt. We've all done it, okay? And so recognizing that you have failed and that you have messed up helps you to be able to forgive, especially in the family setting. It should, okay? After Joseph, Joseph's brothers beg for forgiveness, Joseph responds, In verse 19 of Genesis 50, and Joseph said unto them, fear not. In other words, don't be afraid. For am I in the place of God? What he's saying is, who am I to withhold forgiveness? Who am I to withhold? And I'm just, think of all the things that Joseph went through because of what his brothers did. And this is his response. What a humble and really, really good example for us to look at. I mean, some of us are holding grudges against people in our family that literally just told us they didn't like the way our hair looked that day. And maybe there's a little more to it than that. But 
examine yourself and some of these, you know, some of these things that we're going to talk about, you really are going to be honest with yourself and say, is it worth, is this offense worth this relationship being severed? It's difficult to withhold forgiveness to others when we ponder how much we've been forgiven by Jesus. But these sorts of situations are not always easy. It's really easy to talk about forgiveness, and it's even easy to say, I forgive you. It really is. You can say it, but to actually do it in your heart and in your mind, there's a book that I want to recommend to you. I've recommended it to some of you before, written by Joy Haney called How to Forgive When It's Hard to Forget. Write that down, and I want you to read that book. If there's a situation in your life that you're really struggling to forgive or you feel like you've forgiven, but the memory, every time the memory comes back of that event that happened, you feel all those feelings come back again. And God can deliver you. That's got, that can be a work of the Holy Ghost that he will do in your life. But you have to make the decision Because sometimes anger and revenge and bitterness feels really good. It feels really good. I mean, Hollywood has made some really great movies about revenge. And man, we love those, right? (laughs) We love to watch when the bad guy gets it. It feels good. But that's Hollywood, okay? That's not real life. It doesn't end happily, especially for the person who's out for revenge. You end up very bitter and very miserable, and everyone around you is miserable. Perhaps the most famous verse in the text that we've been reading is Genesis 50 and 20. And this is what Joseph says to his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. See, God had to place Joseph where he was to save an entire nation, to save people from starving to death during a famine. He needed Joseph to be there, and he used his brothers to get him there. So what he's saying to them is, look, God needed me here, and that's a sign of true forgiveness, that you can look at the hurts in your life, and you can say, you know what? God's used them for the good, and God's used them to get me where I am right now. And if you're not quite there yet, he is taking you somewhere because it's a promise in the word of God that he is working things for your good, all right? John Calvin said, I already actually said that. No, yeah, I did. I wrote it in my notes twice. That's how good it was of a saying. (laughs) So read it on your paper again. The old statement goes that hurting people hurt people. We all said that. It's a great meme. Everybody puts it on Facebook and Instagram, and everybody's like, oh, so fire, fire emoji, hand clap emoji. And we've all said that. And more than likely, those that I have been hurt by, or you have been hurt by, are reacting to a hurt in their own lives. And again, this does not mean that we dismiss the behavior But it does give us the opportunity to replace the toxins of bitterness and revenge with life-breathing attributes of empathy and understanding. While it may not change that person, 
This is the key right here. It may not change that person. You coming to the understanding that that person has issues because of things that have been done to them, and that's why they hurt you, that may never change them, but it extinguishes the fire that burns within you. Again, forgiveness is 99% about you. It's 1% about the other person. It's about making sure your spirit is right. Realizing that I, I am too imperfect and I am flawed. Judging someone else's weakness from my position of strength and power will never lead to forgiveness. The person that realizes that they are deeply flawed and will likely need to be granted forgiveness a lot will find it much easier to forgive than someone who lacks awareness of their own shortcomings. People who can't forgive are usually people who don't even, they are not self-aware at all about the fact that they have their own issues and that they've hurt people. And they may not even be aware of it. Most of the time they're not. Number three, God has a purpose behind your pain. God has a purpose. This is a hard one. And reading through my notes earlier and typing them out and figuring out what I was going to talk about with all of this, this one hits home, you know? This one hits home because there's been a lot of pain that I think, you know, the whole thing of life is not fair. It's not. I mean, nowhere. In fact, the Bible says if you're going to follow Christ, you got to take up a cross. A cross is not fair. And so, you know, of course, kids come to us all the time like, well, that's not fair. And most of our response is, life ain't fair, sweet pea. <laughs> you don't have to add the sweet pea. It's kind of sassy, but sometimes I did that. Um, but because life isn't fair. We've all had pain. We've all had things happen to us that are not our fault. Things that people have said and done to us out of no nothing we did to deserve it. And notice that Joseph says this toward the end of his life and not the beginning. Because Joseph had gone through all of this. And again, he didn't, he didn't read the end of the book. He didn't, have the, he didn't have the opportunity or the privilege to see the end of the story like we get to see it. He lived this for 20-something years. He lived, in, he was in prison for 14. He was in Potiphar's house. We don't know exactly how long he was in Potiphar's house, but things went real bad there, which is what landed him in prison. So he's, he has no clue. And I don't know that we have any record of God coming and visiting him and saying, hey, Joseph, this is all part of my plan. It's okay. Just trust me. That would be nice, right? That whenever you're going through some deep hurts and pains and things are happening in your life that you don't understand, it would be great if God would just come down in the flesh and sit with you and have a cup of coffee and say, okay, look, this is what's happening. I see what's happening, and it's okay. You can trust me. My hand is in it. I mean, who wouldn't be okay after that, right? I mean, like God, the creator, came and just, Joseph didn't have that, and most of the time, we don't have that. We don't have that experience of God. Now we have peace. Well, he'll give us peace and he'll be our comfort. But 
just trusting that God has a plan and a purpose behind the pain. And that's where trust is a real big deal. It's a really big deal. Usually, the purpose of your hardships are only partly understood after you've gone through them. After you're like, ah, okay, that's what that was about. But what about those times when you don't have that aha moment where you haven't seen the good come out of it yet? And you haven't seen the purpose, that again is trusting God. Painful providences are often best observed in hindsight. They say hindsight is 2020, right? Nevertheless, this is not always the case. Some questions to your sufferings will not be answered in this life. I hate to tell you. I've got questions, trust me, I have lots of questions that I would love for Jesus to just, you know. Send it in the mail. Email me. (laughs) Something. Just email me, Lord. You don't even have to text message me. I'll take an email. It leads me to a funny story. Dakota does not have a phone. She's got an iPod, and the only thing she could do on it is email. (laughs) We were at a service last week, and there was, (laughs) don't tell her I told y'all. It's so cute, though. I have to share Dakota's stories. Not because she's my favorite. It's because she's really funny. <laughs> Anyways, so we're, she's sitting there at the service. It's just her and I and my husband. And there was this little boy sitting on the back row. She leaned over. She goes, Mom, that little boy back there keeps looking at me. And I don't know what his intentions are. <laughs> and I was like, I don't either. I know his intentions need to be on Jesus, though. And so do yours. And she was like, if he keeps looking at me. <laughs> said, if he keeps looking at me, I'm going to be like, hey, email me. <laughs> I thought that was so, like, it says email me, right? Like, this isn't 1995. <laughs> I laughed so hard. It was so funny. And she was just like, email me. Like, you better email Jesus. Anyway, that was a funny story. <laughs> That's the danger. My kids hate it when I get up here sometimes because I tell stories. But they're so funny. I mean, like, how can you not tell that? <laughs> that would be... Anyway, and she sends me emails from school. She'll send me an email that just says, hey. Hey, Mom. I got one yesterday that she got a good grade on a quiz. She goes, hey, I'm really smart. I got a good grade. That was all it said. Like, no punctuation, no capitalization, nothing. It's just... Anyway, oh, I love that kid. Um, anyway, let's get back to let's get back to what we're talking about. All right, so there is, and we could, I really could dive into this point. Probably do a whole lesson about understanding God's purpose in the pain. But honestly, it comes down to trust. It comes down, and I think that's what helped Joseph. It obviously is what helped Joseph to forgive is because he understood, look, God had a purpose in this. Yeah, it was that, you know, your actions led to some really unfortunate things in my life, but God had a purpose in it. And because I understand that God's got a purpose in it, I can move past the, the pain and the, the hurt that you caused me. And so let's look at verse 21 of Genesis chapter 50. This is Joseph's response to their apology. He said, 
do not fear. And then he says, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Turn to your neighbor and say, he spoke kindly to them. Turn to your other neighbor and say, he spoke kindly to them. Here's the deal. You need to speak kindly to others, okay? This is something we learn in first grade or kindergarten is be nice and say nice things, right? Because words matter. They absolutely matter. There have been so many relationships that have been destroyed, not because somebody got punched in the face, but because words were spoken that hurt worse than a punch to the face. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. The Message Bible in Proverbs 18, 21, the Message Bible says it like this. Words kill and words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. You decide. Are you going to speak words that will kill somebody mentally, emotionally, spiritually? Or are you going to speak words of life? And I want to tell you, this is kind of a a little off ramp off of forgiveness, but into, but speaking life over your children and over your spouse, please, please don't talk to your children and your spouse, reminding them of how big of a failure they are. Let me tell you something. They already know that they have messed up. They already know that they have shortcomings and flaws. You don't have to put an advertisement out every day that they wake up reminding them of it. You should be speaking life over your spouse, over your children, and kids, even your parents. You can speak life over your parents. You can say things to your parents that help build them up, that encourage them. If you see your mom and dad struggling, they're discouraged, Do you know how much it would mean to them for you to walk up and hug them and say, hey, mom, dad, thanks for what you do for our family? That's it. That's I'm telling you, it would be a game changer. You can speak life. So just because you're a teenager or a kid doesn't mean that you get out, you know, get out of jail free card that you don't have to do any of these things. But we should be speaking life over our families. It truly is. It is absolutely true that there is power in your tongue. Some of us can't remember what we had for breakfast, but we can remember what someone said to us 20 years ago that crushed our spirit. I don't want to be that person that someone, every time that they remember something I said to them, it crushes them. I don't want to be that person. And I'm sure there have been times, I know there's been times, that I have said things that have hurt people And I ask God, Lord, reveal to me the things that I need to ask somebody to forgive me for. Okay? Speak life. You are not entitled to verbally abuse, mistreat, and lash out at others because they've caused you harm. Like Joseph, you're called to speak kindly to everyone, even the ones that have hurt you. Now, this does not mean that you have to be their best friend. If they continue to hurt and they continue, you don't have to put yourself in that situation. But you do have to be kind. Now, you can be firm and you can be like, you know what? I'm kindly going to remove myself from this room right now. (laughs) 
and they may be able to read your face and your tone of voice that it's for their good. But you don't have a right to mistreat people. And again, we're talking about within the family here. I've heard the way some families talk to one another. I, I think I told you guys, or maybe I told the ladies in um, ladies meeting one time, the only time that I was this close to being on the front page of the newspaper <laughs> was in Walmart. And I heard this woman cussing her little 12-year-old daughter out. I mean, going in on her. Horrible thing. I can't even begin to tell you the things that she was telling her. I mean, cussing up a storm. And I thought, all right, Lord, if she says one more thing, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going over there. And so then I peek around the aisle and I'm like, ooh, she could probably take me. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was so, but I was like, God, I need to help this girl. I mean, the little girl standing there looking up at her mother, complete, you could see on her face that one, she was completely embarrassed because her mother is screaming profanity at her in the middle of Walmart. And I'm like, I want to just go take that little girl and just keep, keep her safe. I don't care if she deserved, if she did something wrong. I don't care. That is a mother. And she should not be talking that way. And I was, woo, it was the Holy Ghost. I was like, God, I need you to shut her up because if you don't, woo, help me, Jesus. And he did. Well, she stopped. She stopped. And I was thankful. I was like, whoo, that's good because I did not want to be going to jail tonight. I have way too much to do to get ready for church tomorrow. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> wouldn't that be ironic? Uh, <laughs> pastor's wife. Anyway, who knows what that, that headline would look like. But anyways, words kill. They kill spirits. They crush. Um, Colossians 4, 6. Your speech, let it always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's another scripture that says a soft answer turns away wrath. That is a hard principle to put into place. Because when someone comes at you, what is your automatic response? Boom. They push a button, and you want to push a button. And then they're going to push a button, and all you're doing is pushing buttons, and then the machine explodes. So don't push buttons. And remember that principle, that a soft answer turns. It may not turn it away right then. <laughs> it may take a minute. But give your soft answer and then run. <laughs> Go be by yourself for a little bit. The fact is forgiveness is not easy. It is not easy. But we must never lose sight of the gospel, that it was the blood of Jesus that covered my sins and my wrongdoings. And the Bible says if we can't forgive, he can't forgive us. And the more that you reflect on the canceling of your sins, the more readily you'll be able to forgive others for their sins against you. C.S. <clears throat> Lewis said this statement, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Can I get an Amen. How many of you, God has forgiven you of some real bad things? And we're not going to pass the microphone because then, again, it would get super awkward. We're going to leave it under the blood. But I am thankful that God has forgiven me. 
It's never too late to forgive. Right now, as I've been talking, you, you may have been thinking about a hurt or a grudge or an offense that was done 15, 25, 30 years ago. It's never too late to forgive. Tonight, you can make that decision that I'm going to let this go. Joseph encounters his brothers again later in life, and at this point, he is truly able to see God at work, especially in his family's life. When he reveals his identity to his brothers, Joseph spoke of their sin like this. He said, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was not you who sent me here, but it was God. Man, I mean, I, I can't wrap my head around that after knowing what they did to him. Man, I want to have that kind of spirit. I want to have that kind of attitude that I can say, you know what? You didn't do it to me. God allowed it because he needed me to be in this point or he's going to, he's got me positioned somewhere now to where I can help somebody else. That's, that is maturity. And that takes time. It takes time to get there. After this, Joseph reassures his brothers, offering them forgiveness. And again, we already read this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. God's plan was in place. Joseph and his brothers had all aged and been through many of their own physical and emotional hardships, but it still was not too late for Joseph to offer forgiveness. Forgiveness is difficult, especially when we've been hurt deeply by those who love deeply, especially when you're hurt by those living under the same roof as you. Joseph loved his family but jealousy, hate, and envy initially got in the way for his brothers. And even though, or even through all of that and all that he went through, he still forgave them. We're all going to struggle with this. If, and you may be sitting here thinking, well, I don't, you know, this doesn't really apply to me. It will. <laughs> At some point in your life, I know, I'm, the, I'm just giving great news tonight. Um, at some point in your life, you're going to come to a situation where you have to make a decision if you're going to forgive or if you're going to hold on to anger and resentment and thoughts of revenge. And I'm praying that you'll remember this lesson tonight when that point comes in your life. When we, when we hold on to those things and we hold on to bitterness, we honestly are just imprisoning ourselves. Have you ever met somebody that was so bitter because of what someone else did to them, that they treat everyone else like trash. It has nothing to do with everyone else. It was one person that did something, but they're going to treat everyone else terrible. That's what, that, that's what bitterness looks like. And no one wants to, I don't want to be around people like that. I know people in my life right now that I have no desire to be around them because I know they are not forgiving people or a person, and they are so bitter that everything that comes out of their mouth, they just vomit bitterness constantly. Every word is harsh, and every word is condescending and sarcastic and critical. That is a bitter person. Examine yourself to make sure that's not where you're living right now, and be honest with yourself. Because emotional wounds can be like physical wounds. If you had a cut on your arm, and you've probably heard this analogy, I'm sure you have, and you didn't clean it or care for it, then what would happen? It's going to 
get infected. There will be an infection that sets in. It'll be gross. It'll smell bad. It'll look bad. It'll be bad. And if you don't ultimately take care of it, you could have to have your arm amputated or whatever it was because gangrene sets in and then that's a real bad day. And that's what happens emotionally when we don't take care of those wounds. When we don't look at ourselves and say, okay, I've been hurt by somebody, but what do I need to do about it for, for my sake? Because this person could go on and never even know that they hurt you. And they go on and live a happy, wonderful life, skipping through the tulips. And here you are just suffering because you can't get past it. And the hard part is forgiving the people that don't ask for forgiveness. That's the hard part. But again, it's not about them. It's about you. Unforgiveness is like an untreated injury for the soul. Forgiveness is twofold. It releases the guilty party of the guilt and shame, and it also releases you from the root of bitterness. 1 Corinthians 13 and 5 says this about regarding love. It says never, it doesn't have a haughty or, or selfish, and it's not rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's not irritable or touchy. It does not hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do wrong. That's when you love. That's when you love. It's not, and we all, I'm hoping everyone loves the people that you live with. You may not like them sometimes. It's okay. But we love our family. We love our siblings. We love our husbands and our wives and parents. And I know that it can all get messed up sometimes. But if you look at what 1 Corinthians says, it said it does not hold grudges. And because I love you, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you. And because I love you, I'm going to try to overlook it when you mess up. I have a, um, oh, I forgot. Can you bring me, there's a little thing in a paper towel in my purse. I've got an object lesson tonight as I close. It's in a paper towel. Thank you. Now you know how it feels because you do this to me sometimes when you're preaching. <laughs> so there's this thing, this little, this little thing right here. It's a bar of soap, okay? But it is magical soap. I got this at a little store called Basin. And actually, to be really super practical, you should go get one. Um, it's called Basin, and they sell soaps and body scrubs and all this other stuff. <clears throat> well, this is a spot remover bar for your clothing, for your laundry. And I've always been kind of skeptical of spot, you know, everything says it's a spot remover. And so I looked at this, I was like, I mean, it's a bar of soap. Is it really going to take out? I mean, because it claims it will remove oil and it'll remove grass stains, dirt, blood. You know, they list all the things that it will, <clears throat> that it'll take out. Well, my biggest problem is oil stains because I very often forget to put on an apron when I'm cooking. And I can't tell you how many shirts <laughs> I have that have oil splattered on them or grease from bacon. Bacon's the worst. It's horrible. It's ruined many of great shirts in my life. And I thought, okay, I'm going to spend $8.95 on this bar. 
and I'm going to see if it works. And can I tell you that this thing works? It is the best spot remover that I have ever used. Better than Shout, better than any other brand that I've ever used. And so that's my commercial. But that is not what this is about. We need to get in the habit of applying spot remover to our marriages and to our relationships with the people in our homes. We need to get in the habit of saying, you know what, I'm going to just apply a little bit of this spot remover and we're going to move past this instead of constantly bringing it back up, truly letting it go. Life has a way of getting spots on our families. We've all got issues. We've all got things that we're, we're dealing with because we're just humans. You got a bunch of humans living in the same house that all have different personalities, different quirks, different likes, dislikes, and you try to get them all to live happily ever after, and sometimes it is a real struggle. The fact is that when there's failure in a marriage or in a family, no matter what it is, the offender has recognized and confessed their wrongdoing. The enemy, how many of you know the enemy is the accuser of the brethren? He's going to come in and he's going to flood them with shame and condemnation and guilt. And they're going to really struggle with that. And you have a choice to make. You can either join Satan and add heaps of guilt onto that family member and make them feel even worse about themselves. Or you can shut the game down and forgive and restore. And in doing that, you have also delivered yourself from bitterness which will cause as much damage to your family as the transgression did. Your bitterness and your inability to move past things will destroy your family just as easily as the wrongdoing that was done. You have the power and the ability to take the weapon out of Satan's hands in his plan to destroy your family. You have that power. Max Licato says, relationships don't thrive because the guilty are punished, but because the wounded are merciful. You, I want our, our family relationships to thrive. My husband said it the other night. I don't want us to just survive. I want it to thrive. I want the marriages in this church to be healthy and strong, and I want the children in this, in this church to have good relationships with their parents, and it's not constant battle because the enemy is going to bring that to your front door, and you have to decide, are you going to invite him in and join in the battle and create even more chaos, or are you going to speak life and bring peace by offering forgiveness? In the book, The Secret of Letting Go, author Guy Finley shares an illustration of the monkey trap that's used in South America, Africa, and Asia. There, natives have, for centuries, devised an effective method of trapping uh, very elusive monkeys. They simply cut a hole in a gourd, which is just small enough for the open hand of the monkey to pass through. Then the gourd is attached to a secure structure by a heavy rope or a chain, and the bait that is irresistible to the monkey is placed inside. The monkey will place his hand into the trap, grab the item, but then, because his fist is clenched with the prize in his hand that he will not let go of, he can't get his hand back out. 
All that would need to be done to escape to freedom was be, would be to release the item. But instead, the monkey holds on tight, resulting in his capture. And that's what the enemy does. He says, all right, grab a hold of that offense and that hurt and don't let go of it. Don't let go. And then you live a life where you're miserable, you're bitter, you're hurt, and everyone around you knows it. But I believe God wants to release us of some things tonight. So I'm going to ask us to stand. And as I've taught and as I've talked tonight, I know some of you have very, very, very specific situations in your mind. And I just want you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to, in your own way, just say, God, I'm releasing it to you. I'm releasing it to you. God, I don't want to live a bitter, miserable life. God, I want, I want my marriage to be healthy. I want my marriage to be a safe place. God, I want my family and my home. I want us to thrive and live by the principles of your word. God, one of those principles is the principle of forgiveness. And so, God, I pray tonight that you would baptize this church, every family, every husband, every wife, every child and parent God, that you would help them tonight to be released from that hurt. God, I know life ain't fair. I know there's things that have happened that are out of our control. But God, we recognize that we are sinners. We have failed. We have let you down. But you always choose to forgive. And so, God, we want to do the same. And I pray your blessings over this church in the name of Jesus. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.